Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Hello, and welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Michael Phillips, the senior pastor of Kingdom Life Church, a non-denominational congregation in Baltimore. Michael has had himself quite the life. He stood in front of a judge when he was 18, and the judge gave him a choice of 30 years in prison or college. Michael quickly chose college, and he's used that to not only change the path of his own life, but of so many other people, and he calls himself a change agent, and I think after listening to this podcast, you'll see why that rings incredibly true. He's also the author of the upcoming book, Wrong Lanes Have Right Turns. Just dropped the little cover and teaser earlier this month, so there's lots of goodies in there to check out. Highly recommend pre-ordering the book because it's a fantastic read. If you'd like to get in touch with Good People Cool Things, you can reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GPCT Podcast. You can also always send an email, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. And if you want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podchaser, leave a five-star review, let people know you're enjoying the show, or just go up to someone on the street and be like, hey, you look like you like podcasts. Why don't you listen to this Good People, Cool Things show? It's pretty fantastic, and there's so much knowledge being dropped, including from Michael. So let's hop on into the conversation. For people who don't know who Michael Phillips is. Can you give us your elevator pitch? But also tell us the kind of elevator we're riding on. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, you know, I think we're riding on uh, one of those uh, old-fashioned elevators with the gate um, that you have to, you know, crank your floor where you're trying to go. Um, but yet it has a modern decadence uh, that makes you want to get on and see what's at the top. That's kind of been my life. Uh, it's been my journey um, as just a kid from, you know, uh, a typical urban neighborhood that you would imagine in your mind uh, with row homes and alleyways uh, and things of that nature. Uh, those are my humble beginnings. And uh, coming from a long family of, of, in my family, you were either a preacher or a or a thug. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was one of those two things. Obviously, there were some professionals, some professionals in there, uh, nurses and things of that nature. Um, you know, my grandmothers and aunts and all of them. But the men in my family uh, uh, mostly were preachers, or, or really they were thugs. And I have been both. I have actually uh, been both things, um, which is part of my story. And so I come from those humble backgrounds and uh, uh, my, my story kind of takes off when my father dies uh, at 12 years old because he was my model. He was my world. He was my mentor. Uh, he was an exceptional community leader and just a very gracious person. Uh, and I lost him at 12. He died of a heart attack and uh, it rocked my world. It really did. And uh, because my 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 mother, uh, she had you know, it was three of us, um, uh, me, my brother, and, and two sisters, so four of us together, um, and uh, so she has to raise all of us by herself, uh, and we didn't have the structure to help or the wraparound support to help with that level of a traumatic incident, and so each and every one of us handled it differently, and for me. 
Um, it was the streets. They were there. They were available. Um, they were uh, comforting because it was what I knew. Um, you know, the path you choose is usually the one you know best. And so that's, <laughs> it's, it's the world I knew and understood. And they embraced me and they also got me into a lot of trouble. And so uh, part of who I am and, and, and as, just as a person comes from that place. And it comes from uh, the struggle of trying to find out who you really are and choosing the best version of yourself, right? Choosing uh, who you can be and the potential of that, despite the fact that you were once at a point in time in your life, something that you weren't too proud of. And um, that's me. I'm a, I am a husband and a father, father of two wonderful children. Uh, my, my children are much older than uh, I, you might think I am, but my, my son uh, is, you know, graduated college. My daughter is in college. Um, and uh, I've been married for 25 years. Nice. Uh, yeah, just <laughs> celebrated 25 years last August. So we're going into 26. It's a miracle. Don't know how we made it, <laughs> but we're here. <laughs> what's the what's the um, the like present for 25? You know, uh, it's like gold is. I mean, I it's should supposed know this better to be than I do, but... a silver anniversary. Uh, okay. But but I think uh, you know for us, I think the 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 present for 25 is just peace. You know, you make it to 25 years and it's kind of like you're at peace with each other and, you know, all of the uh, idiosyncrasies of each other and the little stuff doesn't matter anymore. Mm. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like we don't even argue anymore. It's like, whatever. I'll see, <laughs> I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Especially after this last year. <laughs> As well. Especially, like if you can make it through uh, that, like you're fine. You know, um, <laughs> and that was the wonderful thing about the for us in the pandemic, uh, going through all of that. Uh, our kids had to come back home, and we were all together, and it was like we like each other. This is all right. <laughs> we can <laughs> we can make it because we like each other. <laughs> nice. Now you mentioned. I don't know if you can hear my dogs going off in the background, but I uh, you mentioned how you. You know each other, and you, I, uh, you know, you know, like what what sets each other off, what you like to do, and I was just thinking, like, I know that if I am home alone when I'm recording a podcast, my dogs who will not bark at all during the day will find a reason to bark to do it while I'm recording. Start. <laughs> yeah, I'm like thank you, always appreciate it. <laughs> right, right. Now let's hop back to when you were 18, and. Correct me if, if this is wrong. This is just based off my, my little research um, beforehand. But you were essentially in front of a judge, and they gave you a choice of prison versus college. Yeah. What what was your reaction when you heard that? <laughs> well, you know, I, I so I went to college originally on a basketball scholarship that I lost because I was in a horrific car accident that made me I would never walk again or play again. And, and so that's how I got into all the trouble I got into because basketball was going to be my passport to the world. Not so much college. It just, you know, I, I didn't value education like that back then. Uh, but it was just my my pass, my passport to the world, uh, sports was. So uh, now I found myself um, in front of a federal judge with these options. And at first I thought they were kidding. I thought uh, this can't be real, particularly because 
the way things happen doesn't usually happen within the criminal justice system. And so um, I just thought this would have to be a prank. Are, are you serious? And I was really quite shocked that he was giving me those options. And I didn't take long to think all this is happening within split seconds because I shot at college. <laughs> soon as he said do you want to go to jail do you want to go to school I said yeah let's try school uh that's a better option and so it was it was quite surreal but I am thankful every day uh of my life uh that I had that option and because it changed not only the trajectory of my life but it changed the trajectory of my children's lives I like that immediate decision of you. It's like, I didn't need to think about this. Yeah. <laughs> do you still um, <laughs> do you still play or uh, are you still a big basketball fan? I'm a huge uh, sports fan in general, uh, from basketball to football to golf, uh, just about any sports I, I'll get into. Um, I, I don't play anymore. Uh, I don't have the love to play. Uh, I think that's just age. My son is 6'7". And Ooh. he's a phenomenal <laughs> athlete. And we were playing ball one day and he went past me so fast. And my mind was telling my body to do something that it just didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> he went past me. So, and I'm still in pretty great shape, man. And he went yeah. past me so fast and was hanging on the rim that I just went in the house and said, okay, it's a wrap. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's, it's done. I can't. And I said, all right. And so I don't have the love for it uh, like I used to. I used to play all the time every day. Uh, but now, mostly, if I, if I can go play golf, I'll be a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is wild to look back. I mean, obviously, bodies deteriorate over time and they're not, you know, we're not as energetic as we once were. But like looking back at the amount of time I spent playing basketball in high school and college compared to now, I was like, where did I even get all that time? It's, right. it's wild. It's crazy. And, and, and you could do it all day. You could run, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games and, and not bad an eyelash. I, I don't know if I could get through one right now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got in, I think it was, it might've been four, but it was like half court up to maybe 11. Um, a couple months ago, a friend, I was, I was visiting my sister in LA and a friend was like, yeah, we run, you know, casual pickup games Sunday. I'm right. like, is this really casual or is this like, you say it's casual and you're <laughs> beating each other up. And thankfully it was, it was a little more of the former, but I was just, even after that, I'm like, my feet hurt for a week. I'm yeah. like blistering everywhere. Right. It's rough, man. <laughs> Cause you got to get used to your muscles. Not used to your <laughs> And all that good stuff. But I would play, like, I would do that, like, casual pickup, something like that. But, you know, half court. Yeah, I do that. I do that. Yeah, I think it's it's the way to go now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, you have a lot of descriptors to describe you. Um, you know, if you if you go on your website, you'll see things like thought leader, writer, author. But I also like change agent on there because I think that's that's kind of a unique way to... Uh, to describe oneself, but I think looking at your background, it's it's pretty accurate. So to you, what does it mean to be a change agent? Yeah, I, you know, it's a term that people throw around, but um, for me, when I think about that term for, for myself, 
is first of first and foremost about me as an individual, my willingness to change, um, and then also my willingness to help others do the same, uh, and then to scale that out to whether we're changing uh, communities, whether we're changing uh, hearts and minds, whether we are uh, a, a changing uh, a block or a school, whatever it is, I want to be that agent, that conduit, that catalyst to help make that happen uh, and to provide solutions to, to problems that are solvable. But it just requires us to be open to change instead of building up an immunity to it. And I think most of us, uh, uh, you know, human nature is to be a creature of habit. Uh, and what we do habitually always has the power to defeat what happens to us occasionally. But that's both positive and negative. So uh, being a change agent for me uh, starts here uh, and then expands out to everything that I want to impact or can impact. So do you get, I, I, don't, I don't know if upset, that might be too drastic, but do you get irritated when you see an article that's like you have to have the same morning routine all the time <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't get frustrated routines are good they're great um discipline is good uh but you can you can be loyal okay to an outdated method that's not moving you forward and so if it's not moving you forward, then you, you have to check those outcomes and say, OK, why are we doing what we're doing? Everyone is in the middle of that right now. OK, companies are measuring that. Are we returning to work? Is that better? Was it more productive for people to be at home? So forth and so on. And so uh, change is coming. But what would really become frustrating to us is not so much the change, it's the transition. It's the moving from where we are to where we need to be. And that's where it gets really difficult. I think you hit the nail on the head at the beginning. It's the path we often choose. It's the one that we know. It's the, the right. most familiar. There's comfort in the familiar. So for people who, I, I mean, we've all accepted change with the pandemic, but I think some maybe uh, are a little more hesitant than others. Um, so for those people that are kind of resistant to change, how can you sort of reshift their mindset so that they're, they're more willing to take on something that'll be good for them? It's coming to the reality that things are going to move on without you. Um, if history has told us anything, is that the world will move on without you. Axe blockbuster uh, video, <laughs> okay? The world will move on without you. And you, you, don't, you don't want to look up and be on the outside looking in um, and that, that can go, that is relevant to so much of, of what's going on today from, uh, our global health issues, uh, to what we're going to have to face coming or returning either to work or to school or to what we call quote unquote normal. Um, this is a transitory period for us, uh, coming out of the pandemic, if we are to come out of it. And you're gonna to have to make some changes. You're gonna to have to do some things different because normal is really not an option. We're not going back to that. So what are you gonna do? You gotta change. I like that. And, and across the nation, uh, Blockbuster, former Blockbuster employees just sighed heavily. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I was watching that uh, that documentary on Netflix recently about the last Blockbuster and 
It's it. I kind of want to go visit. I know it's it's in like a remote Oregon city in Bend, Oregon, but just uh, for the nostalgia be rush, interesting, it'd be interesting. Nice right? Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting. And would it be weird to to rent a video? Would you be? I mean, it's like are they still making uh, videotapes? Uh, I suppose. That's a good they question. Are. <laughs> I mean, they've got to be, right? I don't. I don't know how I'd watch it. I have to go up to my parents. In exactly. Chicago. You, you yeah. have adapted <laughs> your whole life around new technology, and it's like I don't even have the instrumentation anymore to watch something uh, that I once loved, but it's now outdated. I don't. Even, I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> I remember I was at someone's place, and they didn't even. They were like, "I don't even know how to watch a DVD." Like they, wow. they didn't have a DVD player or any like game system that could put it on, and I was like. If that happens, a wow. lot of my <laughs> library is just kaput now. <laughs> right, right. I still have a DVD player. I keep it. It's in the closet somewhere, but I do have it. <laughs> yeah, I remember when uh, they first came out, and it was just like I think uh, our family got a copy of Mars Attacks with with the one we bought, just like randomly thrown in. I have no right. idea why that was the movie, but <laughs> it was like one of the first ones out on DVD. And so they're like, "Here, here's this movie," and oh, I was wow. just like, "This is crazy." <laughs> it was, but I it embraced was, it. I was like, "Come on, change." <laughs> yeah, I mean, going from you know cassettes to CDs, we're old enough to to, to know that, and it's a weird thing. And now everything's digital. And downloadable into your phone and it's like cd what like you know who uh who would ever thought um but here we are and so uh that's what it really means to be agents of change uh uh and so when you're capable of being an agent of change you're then capable of being an agent of purpose uh and helping people to really discover uh, who they really are and know why before this turns into too much of like a back in my day I'm just, right. the, the people that don't know about skipping on CDs are just, I'm like, be glad that that doesn't happen anymore because that right. was always the most frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it was always on the good part. I know. It's because you'd play it so often. It finally right. was like, I, like, I can't take it anymore. Right. You also have a book coming out, Wrong Lanes Have Right Turns. And I always love chatting with authors, both about the writing process, but I'm always I'm always interested about the cover as well, because that is such a key part of the book that I think can be easy to overlook, but it's oftentimes a person's first introduction to the book, even if they're recommended by a friend. If they go look it up and it's a cover that isn't pleasing to them, they might be like, I don't care what my friend said. Like, right. <laughs> I don't, I'm getting a bad vibe from this. So right. can you talk a little bit about the cover design process and kind of your your thinking and putting it together yeah absolutely we wanted the cover to be uh something that was deeply personal and and relevant and authentic to the story that we're telling and um and so without giving too much away of <laughs> <laughs> uh, the cover is really the backstory it's a picture of me i'm a I'm 12 year old kid I'm, I'm lost i'm hurt my father had just passed away. Uh, I'm on the streets playing a game of dice and I had just won some money uh, playing dice. And uh, so I'm holding it and it's the picture and I'm posing, you know, uh, <laughs> in one of those like, you know, hip hop type, you know, uh, of uh, postures and I'm holding this money. And, you know, that kid, that 12 year old, scared, confused, 
a kid who's been told that he would end up in jail, that he would never amount to anything constantly and consistently um, is sitting there acting like he's on top of the world where, when deep down on the inside, he's terrified of what he's doing at the moment because it was dangerous and what's up ahead. And so I'm out in front of this, this corner in this building taking this picture and 17 years later, I would start my organization in that building and start creating change for so many different people. And so the cover is my beginning and it tells the story all of itself that wrong lanes actually do have right turns. That's awesome. And as far as the writing process itself, did you know that a book was always part of the plan or was it kind of almost serendipitous where you were like, you kind of stumbled into it? You know, I always wanted to write, um, but I was too busy building and working and trying to create that change. And I had my head down building stuff that by the time I looked up, I went, oh, wow, I, we've actually done some things. And so I thought it was the right time to tell the story. Um, I, so I didn't know that it would be this, and I didn't know that uh, it would uh, become uh, something that a publisher would really want to put out there. I had no idea, man. And I also had no idea about the process. It was, it was such a learning process to me as a first-time author. It's a lot of hard work um, and a lot of uh, uh, nights uh, looking at what you wrote going, that makes no sense. <laughs> And ripping it up and start back over again. But I knew I had a story to tell. And I knew I had something to say that was going to help somebody. And that's that's what I was really after. And it really came together well. I, I know um, not editing while you're writing is a common piece of writing right. advice because right. people like get, you know, get caught up on what they're writing. And I, I totally agree. I think if I can somehow not self-edit while I'm writing, I get a lot more it's written. So hard. But sometimes I'll go back and look and I'm just like, what? Yeah, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Right. What was I saying? Right. That doesn't make sense. Right, right. <laughs> well, also for me, because of the, the stories that are in it, it was somewhat therapeutic, but it was also triggering at the same time. And I had to put the pen down and just sit with, my feelings and my emotions about what I went through and what I had to deal with uh, because some of them were tri quite traumatic. And so I had to sit there for a while uh, and I got through it. Um, but there's one chapter in particular, it took me, uh, it actually set me back a couple of weeks because I just couldn't write anymore. And I just had to sit there with it and, 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 and feel those emotions and they were real and um, uh, come back to it. Uh, with some clarity uh, and uh, that's what made the power that's what made the punch of the book and the passion that you you'll get when you read it it's it's amazing yeah I think that's when writing is its most impactful as if it's affecting you while you're writing it it's very likely to affect someone else reading it too yeah absolutely absolutely now you mentioned you learned a lot about the process I of, of putting a book together. And there's certainly a lot that goes into oh. it. I think, oh. you know, the writing part is what, 10% of it. And then there's 
there's all the other elements yeah. to it. What was the most surprising part for the you? The most surprising part for me was finding out I could write. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I had that tool. And um, that was the most surprising part to me. Uh, I, I, I actually couldn't write. I could really get my thoughts down on paper. Um, and it just flowed out. Just, I mean, just oozed out of me. Uh, and I did not know that that was there. I really didn't. Uh, and so, um, you know, I'm a storyteller yeah, and, and everything that I do. And, and, and so I was able to convey that, you know, within my writing. Uh, but uh, the process then after that of having someone edit your work, uh, go back and, and, and fix and trim and take out and challenge and push and all those things which is a good process, that's really hard too. Uh, because you're like, no, it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is flawless. This first this draft is, is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and you're so excited about being finished. Uh, it's just when the process begins. Um, and, and so you just have to embrace it and enjoy it, every aspect of it uh, and um, be open to uh, some of the necessary changes uh, uh, that's required uh, to make the book. Did you learn from the editing process? Did you have like a writing quirk or like a, a word or phrase that you would use a lot that the editor called out? I did. I use we, our, and us a lot um, without talking about who we, our, or us was because I love humanity. And so when I say we, I'm like, they know I'm talking about them. Like, Joey knows I'm talking about him. <laughs> But they had to challenge me because I did it everywhere, you know, and they had to challenge me to say, okay, you have to describe who we are or us is. But that's how I was talking. I was talking like these are our problems. These are our issues and we can solve them together. And here's what happens when we do it and all that other stuff. And, and so they they had to give me some uh, um uh, some details and and some some tweaking and some tutelage around talking that way. I thought it was a good thing. They did too, but <laughs> they just helped me to be able to smooth it out. Yeah, I think like editors are. I mean, I I commend them. I I don't think I could ever be a full time editor. I just editing like articles. Sometimes I'm like, this is I like. I don't I don't like this yeah. as much, I, but. <laughs> But it's so it's so critical, uh, especially for a book, um, just for for things like that, where it's like, hey, this is a great sentiment, but how can we make it so that everyone is is getting the message and, right. and making right. sure that they're they're comprehending everything right. is awesome. <laughs> so editors, we salute you. Absolutely salute you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Another question I always like to ask, and I, I say this every episode, it's less work for me. I'm putting the onus of asking the question on you, uh, so I love it. Um, but it's a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And for yours, it's when trauma goes unacknowledged, tragedy follows. How does that statement affect our youth and their education? Wow, what a great question. Um, it really is. Um you know, I think it's very important to understand that empathy doesn't require a lot of details. It just requires a mirror. And so the, the, the lack of acknowledgement of what a child goes through 
um, because of the assumption that everybody has what they need. Everybody's getting what they need at home. Um, and the judgment that follows because you see what a kid does, but don't know why they do it, okay? Um, continues to allow us to see traumatic things happen. So when, when, when trauma is unacknowledged, tragedy goes uninterrupted. Uh, this really happens a lot in our schooling systems. Case in point, the first time I went into a school um, to tour it and to uh, see what they were doing and how they were helping kids or not helping kids, I ran into a young man uh, who was standing in the corner of his classroom that I thought was odd because you know, back in my day, you stood in the corner of the classroom with your back to the class, you were in trouble. But I know that we don't discipline kids like that today. So I asked the teacher, was the child in trouble? He said, no, he always does that. I said, can I go over and talk to him? She said, sure. So I walk over and I tap him on the shoulder. And this young man turns around with the biggest smile on his face, which threw me off, really. Right. And he says, I said to him, hey, man, how you doing? My name is Michael. He turned around and said, hey, my, my name is Calvin. And we had this wonderful conversation about his class and what he was learning. And I'm going, what is the deal? And so I said, hey, Calvin, man, why, why are you standing in the corner? And just without hesitation, he looked at his chair and said, man, because my chair is broke. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, my chair is broke. When I sit in my chair, I fall, I get into trouble. Everybody laugh, I get into trouble. And so I'd rather just stand up in the corner and do my work. And I thought to myself, has no one ever asked this guy, (laughs) (laughs) why are you standing in the corner? And they never did. So again, here's his trauma, right? As small as that might be, but very traumatic to to a third grader, okay? That I'm I'm not acknowledged. I don't matter enough. No one cares that this is my issue. And now I'm, I'm getting detention or suspended or reprimanded for an issue that I have nothing to deal with. That I, I'm just trying to, man, I'm just trying to do some science, man. And, uh, and, and so I fixed this chair that day. Uh, it was just stuck. The leg was just stuck and I got it pulled out and adjusted it and it was stable. And you would have thought that I, you know, cured cancer or something or did something, you know, profound for this young man uh, because he chased me down the hall and leaped into my arms and thanked me for fixing his chair and then asked me to help fix his school. When we begin to acknowledge other people's trauma and what they're going with, dealing with, what they're facing with the heart of empathy and a lens of equity, great things can happen because we will stop judging what they do. And we'll know why. And then we can get down to the root of what they're dealing with and support them and help them. And then you'll see things change. That's a great story. And I'm I'm even gonna say, I think Kellen's ahead of the curve here because now we're we're preaching the value of walking meetings. Like I love a walking, like a stand-up meeting. Right. We're sitting too much as it is. Right. I'm 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 on his side. Absolutely I like it. <laughs> moving around and all that learning happens everywhere. I'm on his side too, man. I would I would much rather stand up and walk around in school and learn some things than sitting down at, at this, you know, static desk. <laughs> Hundred percent. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Michael, you're almost off the hook here. 
but we always like to wrap up with a top three. And I'm just going to call these your top three P's of priority, people, and peace. Yeah, man. Priority. Priority. People. Whatever, whatever we prioritize, we do. And it always takes people to get us where we want to go or to see the change that we want to take, take place. And that always brings us to a place of wholeness, a place of peace. Um, and I'm trying to prioritize uh, the things that we need to change societally as it relates to some of our institutions, namely education and prison reform, uh, just to name a few. Uh, but it's going to take priority and it's going to take people. Well, Michael, this was fantastic. Thank you. It was amazing. So much for hopping on. Absolutely. If people want to learn more about you, want to pre-order a copy of the book, right? It's not out yet. Yeah. Um, but if they want to, if they want to be the first ones to read it, where can they find you? They can find it everywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, michaelphillips.info, uh, and sign up to pre-order. Uh, soon there'll be a link out on my social media at Mike Phillips official on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, it's going to be everywhere, man. I'm really excited about it. Thank you so much for having me on. This was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it was a great time and looking forward to reading and, and spreading the word because it's a great, great message uh, within the book and really with everything you're doing. So appreciate you taking the charge. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Um, we got to end with a corny joke. As always, <laughs> I have it on my phone. I, uh, I sourced jokes from Instagram the other day. Oh, wow. It's like, let's see. <laughs> you know, singing in the shower is fun until you get soap in your mouth. And then it's a soap opera. <laughs> get after it today, people. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give my friend Sheila a shout out yeah. for that because I don't want to take credit for it. <laughs> Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show, you can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.